All right. Thank you, team. Appreciate that. I want to give a shout out to them, to Shalem and Grace, and to Sean and Adriana for all leading us in worship this morning. And then there's also a, a three guys off camera that you can't see, uh, Jeff not doing the sound, and Mark Pitroff in the video, and Michael Pitroff doing the lyrics. They all uh, came out here in, in the last minute uh, doing the service and making the changes and things for this morning to do this in-person service. And so just want to say thank you to them and for being willing to uh, still uh, come out here at the Skeleton Crew and make this happen uh, for you this morning. It's awesome to yeah, have a team like that. We can do that. I want to talk to you this morning a little bit about worry. And if you look at the, uh, the title of the sermon this morning, Don't Worry About It, it's sometimes something that uh, we are just told when we're going through something. And, and that little phrase, when somebody tells us that, it just doesn't seem very helpful, does it? And you tell us we're going through somewhere, we say, well, just don't worry about it. And it's easy for them to say, but the things that we're going through, and sometimes it doesn't help us a whole lot, does it? But Jesus has something to say about worry, and I want to kind of explore that with you this morning. When we take a look at uh, what's going on around us in our, in our culture today and in, in, the, in the news and things. We've got COVID. Uh, being worried about, uh, are we going to have service next week? Are we going to be doing all these things? Is it something like that we're going to be worried about? Um, we have inflation and the economy and things like that that are happening. And we worry about, uh, is, is gas going to hit $7 a gallon or not? Uh, worried about <clears throat> things uh, that, that uh, closer to home that we got around here like fire. Uh, we had a uh, 300 acre fire in Anderson the other day and how far was that going to go and what's the next one going to break out? Is it going to be in my neighborhood? Is it, is it going to be my house? Is it going to be these kind of things? But then there's also the things that we worry about uh, like our kids. Worry about our kids uh, that are away in school. Are they going to do okay? Do they have everything they need? Our kids maybe that have moved away from home and, and uh, they're with their spouses there if they're married and, and they're going through their own chapters and lives and, and we kind of worry, how are they doing in that? There's uh, things we worry about the health of a brother or sister, perhaps in our church, and, and we, we kind of uh, uh, worried about, are they going to be okay, and, and is, there, is there something that, that we can do for them? Uh, worried about crime in our neighborhoods and things like that. There's just a, a whole host of things that we can find ourselves worrying about. I find myself not even really wanting to watch the news anymore because I, I, I watch the news and all the things that they report on seem to all be negative and all be just downer. And, and it, makes, it, just, it just increases that anxious worry in me when I see those things. And, and, I, and I, don't like to, I don't like that kind of feeling. Uh, recently, I shared last week about the journey that Sherry and I are on with some of the changes that are coming up in our lives. And as if we get too far ahead in, in those changes, we, we start worrying about, well, what's going to happen with this or what's going to happen with that? And so the question is, is it really a bad thing to worry? Is all worry bad? Or is there some worry that's okay and some worry that's not? What is Jesus actually talking about in our passage today in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34? If you have your Bibles, you can get those open. You can follow along because we're going to be going through that here in just a minute. But if we take a cursory reading of that passage, we might tend to think that all worry is bad. And, and then we just lump it all in there. And then we're caught with that because we catch ourselves worrying and then, oh, I blew it again. I worried. But is that what really Jesus is saying here. I think that as we dive deeper into this passage this morning, I think we'll see that worry in one sense is well and good, but worry in another sense is not. 
that there is a type of worry that's actually damaging and that, that, that uh, doesn't reveal a trust in our Heavenly Father. And so this morning I want to spend the next few minutes looking into what Jesus is and is not saying in this passage in Matthew 6. I want to look at why we should not worry, and the kind of worry that is not good to worry about, and how we should handle it, and then what our response should be to it. So let's start with the passage, Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. Follow along as I read. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I think as we begin to look at this issue of worry that Jesus is speaking about in this passage, I think, first of all, we need to define this word worry. And, and Scripture actually uses uh, two different words for worry here to describe what it is talking about. There is one word that means uh, uh, to have a concern for something or someone. Let's call that concern worry. It's, it's the kind of worry that moves us to action. It's, it's the kind of worry that, that I might be worried about uh, my, my kids in Virginia and wondering what's happening with them and I see they have some needs and it moves me to action to, to help them and, and, and to do something for them. Maybe it's uh, send them some money. No, Chris, you cannot have any money this week. But uh, maybe, maybe it's going to move me to that, that kind of thing. This is what Paul means when he writes in 2 Corinthians 7, 7, when he says this. But God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern or your worry for me so that my joy was greater than ever. This is a good kind of worry, one that we have concern for something and then it moves us to some sort of action. Um, the uh, ESV version, New American Standard Version, instead of uh, worry here or concern, uses zeal. And I don't really like that definition of it because zeal does mean a lot of things and it can mean to have a, a really deep, zealous concern for someone. But normally I think when we think of zeal, we don't uh, automatically think of that. So I tend to like the NIV's uh, rendition of that passage better here. But then there's a second kind of worry that our passage this morning uses, and the other kind of worry is one that leads to anxiousness and paralyzes us. We just get focused on that, that issue, and we're so anxious about it, and, and yet we don't do anything about it. 
And that is the word that Jesus is using here in Matthew 6. It's also the one that Paul uses in Philippians 4, 6, when it says this. Do not be anxious about anything, or do not worry about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Jesus says, actually a little bit later in our passage here in, in chapter 6, about verse 30, he says that worry like this, worry that paralyzes us, worry that gets us focused on the issue instead of on God is actually a worry that is weak faith. It, it, it's a weak faith that leads us into that. And it kind of reminds me of, of what happened with the disciples when, when they were crossing the lake uh, over with Jesus in the boat. And if you remember the story, Jesus said, let's get into the boat and go to the other side. And as they were about halfway out across the lake, the wind came up and the waves were pounding the boat. They started panicking. They were worrying they were going to drown. And they finally, Jesus is sleeping in the bottom of the boat and, and they wake him up and say, Master, don't you care? We're going to drown. And he gets up and he looks at him. And he says, you have little faith. Don't you learn? Then he calms the waves and the sea. And they go, whoa, who is this? Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the kind of anxious worry that Jesus is addressing here in Matthew 6. It is, it is that worry that paralyzes us and that, that gets us focused and, and, and gets us further away from trusting God and walking by the Spirit. It gets us focused on the issue instead of heavenward toward our Heavenly Father. Now, let me just pause for a moment and say something about anxiety itself, because that's actually the word that is used in several of the passages. The ESV in our passage uses the word anxious, and that's a fair translation of the word. But people, there are people who wrestle with anxiety in, in our culture for reasons other than just not trusting the Lord, perhaps. There are some who are wrestling with anxiety because of some sort of physical condition, uh, some sort of deficiency in, in, in their body that, that creates this in them. And they, it still should be something that they're taking to the Lord and, and driving his feet, and many are. But in, even in light of that, they are still struggling with it. And that is because of the fall. Because of what happened in Genesis 3 when, when, uh, uh, God, when Adam and Eve questioned God and, and said, well, the fruit looks good to eat, and they did. That brought in a whole bunch of things that just affect our bodies. And what the body was intended to be perfect now no longer is. And it, it wrestles with disease. And it wrestles with these things. And, and God in his sovereignty sometimes delivers people from those conditions. And sometimes he gives them grace to live through those conditions. And so I think we need to be careful that we, that we pass judgment on people that are wrestling with anxiety because there could be other reasons for it. And instead of passing judgment, I think we need to carry them to the feet of Jesus in prayer and, and, and ask that he just give them grace to deal with it and perhaps heal them from it, whatever else it is. But not to make a judgment to say, well, they just lack faith. That's not for us to do. And so I just want to put that there and, and caution us to be careful with that. So I think one of the first things here is that we must understand what Jesus means about worry. He, he is basically telling us, do not give that anxious kind of worry, the one that leads to paralyzing fear and distrust of our Heavenly Father, an audience. What he doesn't mean is to not have the appropriate kind of concern for others and situations that leads to prayer and perhaps action. 
So the next thing that Jesus points out here in our passage is found in verse 25. It's about the fact that God has given us life and a body. He says this, isn't life more important than food and body more important than clothes? What's he saying when he says this? He's saying, look, God created your body. He gave it to you. And, and he created life and you have life. And if he has done that, he's going to take care of it. He's not just going to leave you to flounder, but he is going to provide for you what you need to live, what you need to continue to, to thrive. He's not going to leave you or forsake you. The author of Hebrews in chapter 13, verse 5 tells us that, that Jesus said he would never leave us or forsake us. And so in essence, Jesus said, what are you worrying about these things for? God created you. If he started it, he's going to finish it. He's going to provide for these things. I find this kind of liberating because now I can give up things that come into my mind as worry and I start to begin to worry about them and, and say, um, okay, God, you called me into this situation and, and there's these things ahead of me. I don't know how they're going to happen, but you know what? It's your problem, Lord. It's your problem. And, and so now I just need to see your solution. So show me your solution. Show me what it is that you want me to do here, what you want me to look for. What part do you have for me to play in this is part of the question I need to be asking him when it comes to those times. So the God who called us and made us knows what we need and he will provide what we need. This is what Jesus is driving at here. I think sometimes one of the, one of the downfalls of this is, is we tend to look for what God is going to provide here the way we think he should provide rather than the way he is providing. Are we open to seeing all of his solutions and, and all of his answers to this or have we narrowed the field down to just the things we think make sense? God is not constrained by that and we shouldn't expect him to be. We should be looking out for more than he has that we think he has for us here. Jesus then moves on to take an example from the birds in verse 26. He says, look at the birds of the air. He's, he's asking us to, to, to reflect, to think about this here. Look at it, and it, it, it makes some sense. He says, God provides for them. He gives food to them. And they don't worry about it, but he provides for them. And you are more valuable than birds. And so if that's the case, your heavenly father is going to provide for them too. But the curious thing about this is, is when you take a look at birds, what do they do? When they go out to find food, they, they go out to find food. It just doesn't fall into the nest where they are. It just doesn't fall out of the sky and drop literally into where they're sitting. They go out for it and they bring it back to the nest and they feed their young. And the point there is that God has provided the food for them. He has given them that instinct to go and to look for it and they know what to do. And if God has done that for the birds of the air and we're more valuable than that, then he has things for us to go and do to take care of our needs, whatever they are, if we are but willing to look for it. But lest we get a little bit prideful about this, you know, we, we get all of our provisions, we go out and do it, we collect all of our food, we got this excellent job because we're so good. You know, I, I'm doing all this because I'm so great. That is something to say about that. That's pride. And that kind of pride can be a bad thing. Listen to what he says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 17 and 18. You may say to yourself, my power and strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. 
and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. We can think that it's, it's all our, our own um, uh, brilliance and, and, and ability to go out and, and get these things that we need and stuff. And yet it is God who provides that job. It is God who provides that way. It is God who, who just provides those things that we need that gives us the ability to go out and do these things. Do we really acknowledge him for that? Or are we hung up and looking at ourselves and, and how, how good we are? Now, pause here for a minute again to address something else that might come up as we talk about this. We talk about how God will provide everything we need to, to eat and, and to, to take care of ourselves. And we look, we look about the world and we see there's literally children and people starving in, in other countries and things. And, and uh, how, how is that? How is that working? And, and to say that, um, well, they're just not believers, therefore uh, they just don't have faith and that's why they're starving. It's pretty cold and callous, I think. And I, we don't necessarily know that's the case, number one. And number two, if that is the case, we should be praying for them. But the issue, I think, even deeper there is it's not a lack of resources that's the problem. God has created the earth. He's created the seas. There's enough resource of food and things in the earth and the seas to feed everyone. The problem is not the number of resources. The problem is the allocation of those resources. The, the equitable distribution of these things. Benevolence. And this is where we as, as the people of God need to come together and look at what is out there and, and what's going on and, and ask the Lord, how would you have us help with this? There, there's good work that we are doing in this church family with benevolence and we can't do everything, but we can do our pieces that God is laying in front of us and I think we are. I think the question is, is there perhaps maybe other areas he might want us to go into? It's a question to pose to him. I don't have an answer. But I think it's worth looking at that. There are other church bodies and things around the world and missionaries and organizations doing work like this. But there's much more work to be done. And so the problem is not the resource. The problem is enough people having the heart that Jesus had and, and, and giving of their, of their uh, resources and things to, to help other people that are not so well off and in need. So after Jesus deals with this example from the birds, he moves into the next example in verse 27 that he says that actually this anxious kind of worry is actually pointless. He says this in verse 27. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is you can't. You can't add a single hour to your life just by worry. Just worrying about something is not going to change it. It's what that worry may bring to us about moving us to action that might change something. Let me, let me see if I can illustrate this. Let's say I'm worried about my home burning up in a wildland fire. And yet the weeds are growing 10 feet tall around my house. My gutters are overflowing with leaves. Trees are surrounding it all over the place. I don't limb up the trees and, and there's just all kinds of fuel waiting for it to burn. But I'm worried about my house burning up. Is that going to prevent my house from burning up if a fire comes through? Now, what if that same worry, I'm worried about my house burning up, 
in a wildfire. And that moves me then to cutting the grass down really, really short and limbing up the trees and cleaning the gutters and, and doing all of those things that I can do to make my house fire hardened. Will that make a difference? Well, it could help. There's no guarantee. It could still burn down in a fire. But at that point, I've done what it is that, that God has revealed me to do, to do what I can with my home, and then I leave it in his hands. And if he takes it, so be it. But at least I have not just been paralyzed with that anxious worry that is pointless. It does nothing. Worry like this, this anxious worry, is also not a very healthy thing. Physiologically, it affects us. It creates high blood pressure. It can create cardiac problems. Uh, it, can, it can do ulcers. It can lead to a lot of other kinds of physical problems. And Jesus is saying, not only all of those things physiologically, but you're just wasting time. And that's exactly where Satan wants us. And I think he uses to dabble that in front of us. That if he can get our eyes focused on situations and get us all wrapped up in anxiety and worry, he'll have us right where we want us. Because we're not looking to what God has for us and what he wants us to do and what kind of impact he wants to make for the kingdom in our spheres of influence. But we're focused right here on this issue. We're horizontal and we're not looking heavenward for these things. Worry like this actually chokes out life. Our word worry comes from the German word meaning to choke. It's the idea that Jesus said in the parable of the sower in Matthew 13, verse 22, when he said that the seed that falls along the thorns is that where the word comes in, but the cares of this world choke out the word. Because, they, because the, the person gives an audience to the cares of this world and worries over those things instead of focusing on what God has for them. And the next thing that Jesus gets to in verses 31 and 32 of Matthew 6, he says that anxious worry is exactly what the world does. Here's what he says. Verse 31, so do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. What does he mean here? If we are worrying about all this stuff, we're anxiously worried about this and that and the other, just like our pagan friends and family and relatives, those who don't know Jesus, what's the difference? I mean, we claim to know Jesus. We, we claim that he has come to give us life and, and give it to the full, that uh, that he gives us perfect peace, and yet they see that we are struggling exactly the same way they are. We're running after the same things they are. What kind of example are unsaved friends, neighbors, and relatives, co-workers seeing? They're not seeing a difference. And it may be a stumbling block to them of coming to trust Jesus and coming to know him. We say we have abundant life in Jesus, but we worry just like them. That's not a very attractive example. Matthew 5, 16 tells us that we are to let our light shine before men in such a way that they may see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. It's not about glorifying us. It's about being vessels of what he's doing in and through us so that it glorifies him, so that a waiting, watching world as they're looking at us might see Jesus. They might catch a glimpse of him through us. Colossians 3.17, Paul admonishes us 
to, in whatever we do, whether in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You see, Jesus is saying in this verse, you're worrying just like the pagans. They run after all these things. That should not be you. You should not be engaged in that anxious worry. You should be different. You've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. We should live like it. Jesus wants us to shine like bright shining stars in this world as we hold out the word of life. And this is one way that people can see this in action by how we handle this anxious kind of worry. By saying, God's got it. I got my part. This is what it is, but he's got it. It's going to be okay one way or the other. And then Jesus ends this part of the Sermon on the Mount with the answer to how to handle worry in verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. Jesus is saying if we do this, if we seek first God's kingdom and what he has and his righteousness, then everything else is going to be taken care of and we won't be giving worry an audience. There won't be any room for it. As we're focusing on his kingdom and we're we're seeking after him, Lord, what do you want me to do here with this? And it moves us to action. Worry's kind of coming along by and it sees the room is full and it just keeps on going because there's no place for it. Maybe we need to hang up a no vacancy sign when we're in that area so that it just continues to just go away. Again, all of these things are in accordance with his will, his way. We need to ask for the discernment to know, the eyes to see, and the ears to hear of what he's saying in this area. We take worry and we take it through the throne of Jesus and we say, what do you want me to do with this? Instead of being anxious over it, being paralyzed with it. But again, I want to encourage us to be looking for his answers. Be looking for the way he wants to do it. Be open to anything. I know that this journey that Sherry and I are on, again, we initially, as I shared in the video last week, we were originally not open to thinking about starting something new again. But we had to be open to what God wanted to do with us in this area if we were truly going to give it all over to him. And once we did that, it opened up some other doors and things. We didn't know that was going to happen. That's just what he calls us to do. He calls you and I to trust him with those details, to just be willing to see all the answers. And so we need to ask for that discernment. We need to ask for the eyes to see that, the ears to hear it, the mind to to be able to work through it. That's how we deal with anxious worry. That's how we don't worry about it, is we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All right, as the worship team comes up, let me just close with a couple of things here. They make their way up. Jesus does not want you and I to engage in anxious worry because it chokes out life. It undermines trust in God And it leads away from a rest and peace in Jesus. It's exactly what our enemy, the devil, wants to do with us. He wants us to give it all to him. 1 Peter 5, 7 tells us to cast all our cares or anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for us. He invites us to do that. He invites us to lay it right there and say, God, it's your problem. Here you go. 
Do we believe this? To be clear, I'm not talking about being phony here. I'm not talking about just putting on a show and saying, oh, everything's fine. I'm not worrying about anything. And then secretly in the closet, we're worrying about stuff. I'm talking about being authentic and truly giving it over to him. And the truth of the matter is, we don't always get it right. I don't always get it right. I catch myself at times in this anxious kind of worry. Is it a sin? Yeah, I think it is. But I also think that God's grace covers that. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God's grace covers that. Now, don't be presumptuous on that grace. But we can claim that when we are just going through life and we find ourselves slipping and falling in that. God doesn't say, well, you're just no good. He says, no, get up, my son. Get up, my daughter, and go on. Give it to me, and let's go forward. And when we ask Scripture tells us that when we confess our sins, he remembers them no more, which is kind of cool because I can go back to God next week and say, hey, uh, Lord, do you remember that sin when I was really worrying about this thing and I was all anxious over it? And he's going to say, no. That's what our Lord does for us. We need to ask God to help us take every thought captive in obedience to Christ, especially when it comes to these worries that can rob us of the abundant life that Jesus says he has come to give us. We need to look for his answers and not our own. Let me read for you one more time the passage out of Philippians chapter 4 verses 4 through 7 that invites us what to do with these worries. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxiously worrying about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. May it be so with us. Grace. Heavenly Father, we just put this whole area before you about worry and anxiety. And I trust that you will help each one of us to examine our own hearts in this issue. To be able to not be taken captive by these things, but rather to take every thought captive in obedience to you. And to lay these worries and anxieties at your feet. And to ask you, Lord, what part do you have for me to play in the solution with this? Is it more than just praying and leaving it here, or do you have something else? Lord, may we have your eyes to see, your ears to hear. May we look at all of these situations that are before us through the lens of your grace, your provision, your goodness, your awesome power. Lord, remind us that we are not here alone, but that you have given us your Holy Spirit as the seal guaranteeing that you are going to take care of us. For your word says that you have created a good work in us and that you are going to carry it on to completion until that final day. Lord, help us to rest in the security of that. Bring that to the forefront of our minds and keep the enemy far from us when it comes to this area and all areas where he would seek to snag us and get us focused off of you. And as we go through this week, Lord, may we see things differently. All the stuff in the news and all the things that are happening, may we not get bound up and worry over those things, but to simply trust you and to seek your face as to what you would have us do, if anything, with them. And so, Lord, as we go from here, 
May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. Well, God bless you, church. We hope to uh, see you here next week. Planning on again, be here in person. Uh, service will be at 10 o'clock and looking forward to hearing from our youth about what God has revealed to them through the life conference they are a part of. God bless you. We'll see you next week.